0: Dixon, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian O'Frey, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Nicholas Bagley, Professor of Law at the University of Michigan Law School. We will discuss his article, "The Procedure Fetish," which was published in the Michigan Law Review. So, welcome back to the show, Nick.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian. It's really fun to be here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I really loved this paper. I thought it was a really rich look at the sort of history and big picture of administrative law, how we think about administrative law, and you know what we're trying to accomplish when we do administrative law. And I was really glad when Matt Iglesias highlighted it on, on Twitter, because it was what di- directed my attention to it and, and got me to read it, and I learned a lot. Uh, from reading it. So uh, congrats. And, um, you know, uh, great to have you on to talk about
1: it. Happy to be here. It was I'm glad Matt Iglesias uh, pointed to it as well. I think it probably tripled my readership from, you know, four to 12. (laughs) Well, so,
0: so Nick, I wanted to start the paper with a kind of big picture question, which is, in your opinion, what are the costs and benefits of administrative procedure?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So, when we think about administrative procedure, I think the key question when you're evaluating costs and benefits is what do you want to accomplish? What do you want it to do in the world? And typically, when you talk to people about administrative procedure, they give you, they speak in um, sort of these very broad generalizations. They have these stories that they're telling about the role that administrative law is supposed to serve. And um, that's my dog in the background, apologies. that administrative law is supposed to serve and the two stories that get trotted out very often are that administrative law is worth the costs that it imposes and the smooth operation of the administrative state because it will conduce to the administrative state's legitimacy and then if, if you get past that people will say well administrative law is really important because if we didn't have it agencies would be unaccountable and so for i think the traditional sort of administrative law scholar the point of administrative law is to secure the benefits of legitimacy and accountability at reasonable cost. Um, And part of my paper is just to say that a lot of the claims made about why it is that administrative procedure, in fact, conduced to legitimacy or agency accountability are either um, mistaken or or just uh, sort of banal generalizations that don't actually kind of carry out in practice. And so so let me just be very concrete about what I mean about that. Like, I feel like every single administrative law paper I read starts with identifying a problem that somebody sees in a federal agency and then walking through the problem and concluding by the with the, the conclusion that, that more judicial review of that particular problem is going to be the solution without thinking about the second order effects on whether or not that's going to make it harder for the agency to accomplish its goals. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want is for an agency to be able to accomplish its goals while at the same time. Protecting against inappropriate incursions and individual liberties, and making sure that we stay accountable to what Congress told the agency to do. But vague claims about legitimacy and accountability, I think it's just not a really crisp or thoughtful way of, of getting into the question of is administrative law doing the work we want for it.
0: Well, so Nick, for, for listeners who maybe aren't specialists in administrative law, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the role of procedure is in administrative law? And really how important is procedure to what people are doing when they do administrative
1: law? Yeah, well, so the traditional vision is that, you know, procedure is at the core of what administrative law is all about. The Bible statute for administrative law is the Administrative Procedure Act. And the promise of the Administrative Procedure Act was that if you make agencies follow certain procedures, They will both, um, you know, they'll explain themselves better. They'll hear hear from a wider array of interests. The quality of their decisions will improve. Um, the 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 fidelity to legal constraints will improve. You know, all of those things are going to conduce to an administrative state that's tolerable. Um, And I think that vision of administrative procedure is built on a very deep suspicion, a deep, deeply ingrained suspicion. Of the administrative state in the American in American legal culture, we hear all the time about the, you know, the bureaucracy run amok or green eye shaded bureaucrats or job killing regulations, and those arguments have resonance because I think, I think it does seem to us like there's something extra constitutional about delegating power to bureaucrats, um, and part of the point of the paper is to push back on that and to say, hold on there's nothing extra constitutional about delegation. We've been doing it from the very beginning. We've had this administrative state now and it's fully robust, florid form for more than a century. Like, at what point do we just stop saying obvious lies about how it is that we're supposed to proceed and start asking the hard questions about what it is we want to accomplish on the ground? My big concern here is that the more procedures you encrust and layer upon agencies in an effort to achieve second order goals, like transparency, or accountability, or legitimacy, Um, the more you do that, the less agencies are actually going to be able to just do their fucking jobs. And doing their fucking jobs is kind of the important thing. It's not the only important thing, but it is a very important thing. And if you hamper the administrative state so much that it can't achieve our common goals, well, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a demagogue running on the claim that only he can cut through all the red tape and do all these wonderful things for the American people, and that claim will sound credible to an awful lot of folk. Well, so you're a historian
0: of the administrative state. Has procedure always played as kind of monumental a role as it played plays today, or yeah, have there no, been?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, the short answer is no. Um, so actually, the kind of rise of what we think of as the modern administrative state really took place in the 1930s in the New Deal. And the progressive reformers who were the kind of new dealers at the heart of the New Deal um, were building on the work of progressive reformers that had done a lot of uh, you know, extraordinary work at the state level to create new commissions, to regulate new agglomerations of economic power, to regulate new risks that were emerging as our society got more complicated, Um, And those progressive reformers and the New Dealers all recognized that the kind of legalism that we instinctively reach for um, was inimical to the proper functioning of the administrative state that they envisioned, that the moment you got judges involved, they would insist on courtroom-like procedures for resolving certain kinds of decisions that were not well designed to be decided in that manner. And so you have people like FDR fighting with Congress over its effort to impose procedural strictures on agencies. He eventually has to veto an early bill that Congress puts puts on his desk, the Walter Logan bill saying, here are the procedures we want your agencies to follow. And he says, look, legalism is not the way forward. Legalism is death. We can't possibly do all the things that we need our government to do if we're you know, consistently trying just, just to cross our T's and dot our I's. There's a bigger mission in view if we don't want the lawyers screwing with it. Um, after the 1940s, though, you know, that, we did finally pass the Administrative Procedure Act, which is sort of a watered-down version of Walter Logan. And then we get into the kind of Brown v. Board era, where courts acquire a kind of patina of, of progressive justice to them. And at the same time, a lot of skepticism about the administrative state starts to grow on the left from the likes of Ralph Nader and the likes of the environmental movement that thinks that government is not doing enough To follow through on its commitments and they look at the success of the civil rights movement in the courts and they say well we can go to court too and they start filing lawsuits and they start centering themselves as the important movers and shakers in many of these movements and so lawyers take center stage as both the antagonists of the administrative state and then like embed themselves or embed the strictures to govern the administrative state in law And they become associated with not only conservative efforts to strangle the administrative state, but also progressive efforts to discipline and tame it and use it for progressive ends. And I think that was just a mistake. You know, I think, you know, the the thing that got me motivated to write the paper was, you know, I was just thinking, like, the Republicans have lots and lots of administrative reform measures on the table, right? They want to create new Hoops for agencies to jump through before they do anything, and Republicans are pretty honest when you ask them like what they're trying to do is handcuff the administrative state. They don't like it much, and they prefer it to do a lot less. And that's fine. i mean it's a it's a goal, it's not one I share, but like I understand it. Um, but it's a political goal, and of course, procedures can serve political ends. and then I just think like, well, why isn't that happening on the left? Like has there no reflection on the, the possibility? that administrative agencies could do a lot more for our collective good if they were not burdened by persnickety, often ridiculous rules, um, and if they weren't subject to often quite stringent judicial review. Um, And it just got me thinking that, like, uh, uh, another reason I got into this is, I'm sorry, I'm rambling now, but, you know, I've written a bunch of papers about procedures that I thought were harmful, things that I thought were actually holding agencies back, and I just wanted to try to figure out why is it that no one ever listens to me, right? Like, Why is it that when I tell these, when I when I raise these arguments about the about procedures backfiring, they just don't seem to get much traction? And I think it's because liberals themselves are caught up in this ideal that you know, if only we can add one more procedure, we'll squeeze politics out of administration and we'll get back to the promised land of expert-driven decision making. Um, And it just does not work like that. Well, so in the paper you make a really counterintuitive,
0: but in my opinion, quite compelling argument that the proceduralization of the administrative state kind of inexorably pushes it in a kind of libertarian direction. I wonder if you could kind of tease that out a little bit and talk about why you think that is and why you think procedure has that effect and, you know, why people haven't noticed that before.
1: Yeah, so... It's all a question of kind of where you place the, um, it's a question of status quo bias, right? How much do you make it difficult to change the current state of affairs? How much, how hard do you make it to regulate? How much hard do you make it to break up a monopoly? How hard do you make it to regulate prices or whatever, right? And to the extent that the current state of affairs is suboptimal because we're not regulating say greenhouse gas emissions in the way we should because our you know fiscal system is uh, our financial system is you know potentially quite weak in places because we aren't doing enough to regulate um, the ways in which that system is fragile Um, if we aren't doing enough to um, you know try to, to think about the way that labor law could help you know readjust the massive you know Income inequalities that we witness today, you know, if if we if we think the administrative state is not doing enough, well, then the current state of affairs is going to tilt in a pretty libertarian direction, which is to say, we're going to see see government staying recumbent even in a time when you think actually more action is called for. Now, a libertarian would respond to this or it might respond to this by saying, "You're taking the wrong baseline. That the right baseline is actually." sort of a more or less unfettered market and there's already so much regulation that making it harder to regulate isn't moving in a libertarian direction it's just stopping more bad regulation from coming down the pike but we're already very far from any kind of libertarian space Um, I don't think that's right in part because the world is changing so fast right like drones didn't exist a decade and a half ago now we have to figure out how to regulate them like and to the extent we can't regulate them, that is like a libertarian's dream, you know, unless until the point that a drone interferes with a passenger plane and we realize, oh, there does have to be some measure of regulation here. So I, I guess that's why I say it tilts in a libertarian direction. Another way of putting it is just that it tilts in a very hard direction of status quo bias, which in the current state of affairs seems to me to push pretty hard in a libertarian direction.
0: Well, so in the in the paper, you also kind of, punch holes in some kind of traditional, I guess, justifications for kind of the kind of increasing trend toward uh, proceduralization of uh, or increasing proceduralization of, uh, of administrative law in particular, the idea that it's sort of somehow that procedure is kind of somehow neutral Mm -hmm. and, and doesn't discriminate against kind of different interest groups. And on one level, that seems to be true. But on another level, it seems like maybe that's not all that convincing of an argument. We'll so sort of maybe play that out a little bit
1: for you. Yeah. Well, so the way I always think about this is like, I think basketball is super unfair because the net is way too high for me to do all those amazing things that, that yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of people on the shorter end of the spectrum. And, and you know, like, it's just not fair. And if you pull the, the net down, you know, a foot, You know, I might be competitive in a way that I'm just not. Does that mean that the rules of basketball are unfair? No, of course. I mean, like, you got to have a rule and the net is set where it is. And we think that it, you know, creates the best kind of basketball game that we can possibly have. But there's no way to craft a neutral height at which you place the basketball net. The basketball net, where you place it, is going to have an effect on who can play the game and and who does play the game. Um, And everybody knows that intuitively when it comes to sports. But if you move over to administrative law, there's this weird idea that the rules that we've created are just, you know, we're not trying to reallocate power among different groups in the society. We're not trying to put a thumb on their, our, the scale in favor of the status quo or to put a thumb on the scale in favor of change. We just want make—you know agencies to, you know, think hard and stay within the law and do what's best. Um, and of course, it just doesn't work like that. It's an optimization problem, which is to say that you can make it easier for agencies to act. And when you do that, you're going to have more agencies that overreach. And you're going to have agencies that from time to time will more eat readily or blithely or ignore statutory constraints. Sure. I think that's probably true. Um, but at the same time, you may get agencies that can act more effectively to deal with the challenges that they've been asked to confront. And if you make administrative rules a whole lot tighter, make it so the agencies can't do shit without jumping through 17 different hoops. Well, you know, that's going to have a certain effect on the allocation of power in the United States, one that will favor people who currently have, and usually not favor those who currently don't have. Um, And I think that's, that's what I mean by administrative law not being neutral is that however you calibrate that, and you and I can fight about that, you know, or I can fight about it with like my, 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 my political opponents, like we should be conscious of that effect. And You know, my perspective is that if you're a progressive who believes in government, there is a crying need for addressing certain deep problems. Um, And that if you are at the same time encouraging the adoption of procedural rules that make it difficult to achieve those objectives, you really got to ask yourself, what are you up to? Like, is this, is the game worth the candle? And are you simply wrapped up in your own storyline about how, you know, legal rules, they feel comfortable to lawyers. We like them. We're lawyers. Um, have Have you not thought hard enough about the costs of those rules on the ground?
0: So I'm really sympathetic to the argument you're making. And I think you're pretty clearly right that there's a lot more agencies could do to regulate better and more efficiently that they're prevented from doing because they have to spend so much of their time complying with procedures that don't actually accomplish any substantive goals. But as you point out in the paper, I mean, this seems to be a kind of status quo of administrative procedure that's supported on the left and the right. I kind of understand why people on the right like it because they don't want agencies doing anything in the first place in many cases. But why would people on the left like that? What value are they placing on this kind of proceduralization? And why are they wrong to place that kind of value?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think they're wrong, right? That's the whole point of the paper is to be like, why do you keep saying these things? And I I think that they are locked in. I think lawyers as a, you know, look, we, Brian, you and I went to law school together, right? We went through the same classes together with the same professors together and we were acculturated in the same way. And the way we were acculturated to the world is very similar to the way that lawyers are acculturated all over the country, which means we've got a certain outlook and perspective that may seem as if it's... um, you know, sort of unbiased and of course just the way of the world, but but it's partly a reflection of the fact that we're locked into a particular worldview. And I think that lawyers like to tell themselves stories about um about the procedures that they put into place. So the two that I focus on in the paper that I think are truly pernicious, there's this story that agencies are the bastard stepchildren of a, of a of a distorted constitutional system. Right. One that that used to be, you know, uh, one where Congress took the charge and decided all the hard questions and the president just carried those out and and all was happy in the land. And then all of a sudden the big bad New Deal came and we started getting agencies with lots of power. And that made people nervous. And when people got nervous, it was the lawyers who saved the day by coming up with the Administrative Procedure Act. And the idea is that for agencies to maintain their fragile legitimacy, they need the the nursemaid and the husbandry of conscientious lawyers who can can then turn to the public and say, hey, I know that this agency appears to you to be a jackbooted thug that's infringing on your property rights, but they have adequately complied with the law and they've taken all the relevant concerns into view and therefore they are legitimate. you know, it's not that procedures have no connection to legitimacy. They do, right? the The trouble is that the stories we tell ourselves about legitimacy are really weird. It's as if the only way an institution can be legitimate in the eye of the beholder, which is to say the people who are the audience for a legitimacy claim, which is the public, generally. The only way that the public will view agencies as being accountable is if they follow procedures. And, of course, like, Most people don't give a rat's ass about whether agencies are following procedures. Most of them really care if the agencies are doing a good job. And sometimes procedures help agencies do a good job, and sometimes they don't. And the notion that an agency that follows procedures but is bad at its job is going to be more legitimate than an agency that doesn't have many procedural um, uh, fetters but does a pretty good job, I think is bonkers. I mean, my favorite example here is, is the Fed right, which by traditional administrative law terms has basically no procedures that it abides by. Um, it is one of the most unfettered agencies that we've got around. It's not subject to the APA, not in any meaningful respect. It makes decisions that affect lives and livelihoods all over the country. It does it without any kind of public announcement beforehand because they can't announce like a change in the federal funds rate without screwing up the markets. And yet the Fed is held in pretty high esteem. Why? Because it's a well-functioning organization. Um, same token, uh, like the defense department department is held in pretty high esteem. Are they subject to the APA? No, generally not. So like, like just stop it with the whole notion that procedures necessarily conduce to legitimacy. Um, they sometimes do, they sometimes don't, but think hard about whether or not they're going to enable the, the agency to do its job. The second story that I think is super embedded in the legal culture is that like, we didn't have procedures. Agencies would just be running amok, doing what they wanted. They wouldn't pay attention to the public and what it wanted. They would have tunnel vision. They would impose costs. They would kill businesses. Um, The only way that we can be comfortable with agencies is if they are publicly accountable. And the only way to make them publicly accountable is to make them follow procedures. Um, And that's just like another story that I think is quite quite misleading, both on its descriptive point and then its prescriptive point. The descriptive point is that accountability is not necessarily all that well achieved by adding procedures, right? What makes think, makes agencies accountable may have more to do with being accountable to the president or to Congress or to their own stakeholders, right? Who they are in constant contact with, or simply that their accountability is upheld by the civil servants who believe in the agency's mission, which often is the case. But even if you think that there's a huge accountability problem with federal agencies, which I don't buy, but your mileage may vary, the notion that procedures are going to make things better is, uh, I think, oftentimes the opposite of the case. Because who's got the ability to take advantage of agency procedures, the hearings that you call, the requests for comment that you put out, the opportunities to sue, right? Well, it's going to be people with money the groups that have the well-organized cash to do this kind of thing. And if those groups, you know, those groups will then take advantage of the existing procedures with a redoubled ferocity, leaving the general public kind of in the in the dust. And so if you care about public accountability, I think the last thing you want is would be a hyper-legalistic, hyper-proceduralized administrative state. You'd want instead to think hard about how do we amplify people's voices who aren't part of this conversation how do we like create management structures such that people at agencies can, can be held accountable for like knowing what people on the ground actually think about a policy and doing the kind of public outreach that we care about but the notion that like if only notice and comment like we have if only we do that a little bit better this kind of weird paper notice and comment thing is going to somehow conduce to accountability like i just don't i just don't buy it So I really
0: thought this aspect of your paper was fascinating, and really convincing. And one thing that struck me was that, you know, you title the paper, the procedure fetish, but it seemed like on one way, or kind of in some ways, what you're describing is almost like a sort of uh, function of like a democracy fetish as well. Mm Like sort of fetishize the idea that democratic institutions reflect the popular will in a way that agencies don't. And it's just not obvious to me that that's the case.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, we, we have this very weirdly flattened conception of democracy where somehow the more raw it is and the more unmediated it is, it is the more pure it is. We've seen this most clearly in connection with party primaries, which used to be You know, uh, uh, a system where the party actually had a lot of say in who was the nominee for president. Now we go through these primary elections, and to say that that somehow yields more public accountability, I'm just not sure that's that's accurate, right? What it does is empower the fringes of each party to push hard on those candidates that appeal to the hardcore, you know, a substantial fraction of a hardcore hardcore end. So we. Fetishize democracy in a particular way and then create institutional structures that actually then end up meaning that we don't get our public will channeled all that effectively into the legislature. By the same token, we tend to think about Congress as the repository of democratic accountability because it's elected. Well, it's true that it's elected, but we all know that elections themselves have problems, that people who are elected are hyper attentive to people who can fund their elections. They're often hyper-attentive to party dynamics and party politics. They are themselves the subject of really strong capture dynamics because public interest groups carry a lot of weight on Capitol Hill. Whereas with federal agencies, at least, you know, you at least are hiring people who are experts in their field, who have a, a, a professional commitment to trying to get it right, and who aren't necessarily coming in seeking to curry favor with one side or the other in order to get reelected. It doesn't mean they're perfect either by any stretch of the mind. But if you're thinking about just like, what does it mean to be accountable to what the public wants? Like, I don't know that if you were going to say like, I'm going to pick the median member of Congress, they really have a pulse on like what it is that middle America wants. I think actually you might do better if you went to the ranks of agencies that Really did a careful job of pulling people who knew the terrain, understood the players, understood how it all worked, and were trying the very best to reach the right answer in a complicated democracy. Um, I think it's you know there's a, there's a appealingly flat stories we tell ourselves, and the world is just much more complicated.
0: Well, so in the paper you you point to a couple or a few different sort of um, aspects of. Uh, procedural uh, obligations of agencies and point to like sort of how they can end up being problematic. And I wanted to focus on FOIA because it's something that I've spent, you know, some time thinking about and working with myself. And I think most people think about FOIA as being sort of unproblematically great, right? We all love love transparency. The more transparency, the better. FOIA is the best thing that ever happened. And you tell a really interesting counter-narrative about FOIA yeah. and, and so I, I want you to talk about that. And then maybe also if you could talk a little bit about what whether your concern is the kind of the why or the how.
1: Yeah, so all of that is great. Um, so FOIA is a terrific example because who could be against transparency, right? It's like being against like puppies or rainbows. And the trouble of course is that FOIA is an obligation to respond to demands from any and all and sundry for certain categories of information. Now, set aside any concerns you might have about agencies being embarrassed about what you might find in their coffers. Like, set aside all those concerns. It just is a blunt fact that agencies devote extraordinary resources to complying with FOIA requests. And you might think, well, that's fine. That's what it, yeah, that's what like democracy is all about. But it turns out that the people who are actually filing the FOIA requests are not the concerned citizens of the world. They're not the, um, the they're not off they're often not the journalists of the world who raise the biggest hue and cry about this the overwhelming majority of FOIA requests are from business competitors seeking to get up dirt on their from business um, from businesses seeking to get dirt on their competitors seeking to secure some kind of prof- a business advantage and so when you look at it that way you say oh we've created a procedural opportunity that seems totally fair and available to everybody but actually filing, filing a FOIA request is like well, it's not easy. It's not that hard, but it's it's not that easy. You have to have somewhere with all. You have to know where to send it. You have to know how to ask for it. You have to know what you can and can't get. You have to know how to follow up. You have to know how to threaten a lawsuit. You have to have somewhere with all to pay the filing, the, the copying fees. And it turns out like that's just too much for most people who just want to chill in Netflix, right? And so the people who actually file these FOIA requests are big, well-heeled industries seeking to take advantage and who then can tie up agencies and not responding to these very often quite broad FOIA requests, it becomes an effective corporate subsidy. And if you ask me, would I like to use the money that's been earmarked to help the EPA come up with good rules to regulate air pollution? Would I want to use a good chunk of that as a corporate subsidy so that polluters can learn about each other from EPA? I would tell you no. But that's effectively how FOIA operates in practice. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't get rid of FOIA, but we should get rid of FOIA, right? There are all sorts of ways we could make FOIA work better and to serve less as that corporate subsidy, while at the same time allowing journalists to get the kind of information that is genuinely necessary or helpful. There are also ways to structure how agencies could be asked or re- required simply to make certain kinds of disclosures without request. Um, so there's lots of ways to structure um, transparency regimes that don't have those downside costs. And what the paper is really trying to say is we don't even have that kind of imagination anymore. And I should say this FOIA argument is, is one that I think fits in thematically with the paper is one that's been made elsewhere most eloquently, I think by, by David Posen, but it has been a theme in some nooks of the literature for quite some time that if you look under the hood of these administrative procedures that sound so great, they are often, you know, kind of awful. I, I thought about this a lot. I think one of the reasons I kind of came to this is my own background is I, I joined the Justice Department in the Civil Division defending government agencies when I got out of my my um, clerkships. And, and I was struck by the difference between the stories that I was told in law school and that I would read in the law reviews and what I was actually seeing on the ground. I was not seeing a lot of Brown v. Board cases. I was not seeing a lot of little guys standing up for you know, against oppressive government, I was seeing a lot of businesses seeking to exploit the first amendment to overturn sensible regulations so that they could then send duplicitous and mendacious, you know, social security letters to letters that resembled the social security administration to the elderly people to defraud them. And I thought like, oh, like the, not the, the or, or, uh, you know, hospitals suing to recover, you know, greater amounts of money under the Medicare statute or fraudsters seeking to get out, you know, like, the list went on and on of people who were who were not the protagonists that I thought they were supposed to be. And it made me wonder, like, what are we up to here? And is this really the way that we can accomplish our collective goals? And I've, I've, pretty, I've soured on a lot of what we take as a given in administrative law. Doesn't mean that we should strip away all procedures or undo the Administrative Procedure Act tomorrow. We probably shouldn't, but we should be very cautious and, and think very hard about the legal rules that we place on agencies because they have consequences that go far beyond my, our, our flabby concerns with transparency or legitimacy or accountability. They have to do with life and death about whether or not a kid is gonna die of asthma or whether or not our sea levels are gonna continue to rise. Um, and that strikes me as, as worth thinking hard about.
0: Well, so Nick, in closing, um, I am totally convinced by your argument that All right that's one procedure hasn't and probably can't accomplish the kinds of things that we want to believe collectively yeah. as lawyers and maybe even more broadly that it can but i i kind of wonder what you think about the kind of the big picture question though i mean we still need to like figure out how to regulate the regulators how do we do yeah. it Yeah.
1: so i think this is um I think the problem is, is that as lawyers, we look at our tools and we say, well, I have all these procedures and I can use them or I cannot use them. And then like, if I don't use them and the agencies, you know, infringe on individual rights or they exceed their statutory responsibilities or whatever, like, what do we do then? Like, and, and I can then look at my pile of procedures and can think about reimposing them, but I'm kind of out of options, And I think the reason we think that is because we are, again, locked into a particular way of thinking about the world. And the particular way I'm I'm thinking about it here is that like lawyers are really bad managers, right? We went into lawyering because we weren't especially good at management and we weren't especially good at working in big organizations. If we were, we probably would have gotten respectable jobs. Um, And and when I think about like management, I think actually that procedures like are only part of the story of any good manager. One way I think about it is imagine like just any, wherever you work, whatever job you have. Imagine if I told you, OK, great, your CEO or the dean of your law school or whatever else, like all of their decisions, they, they are the final word, except <laughs> they, all of their decisions can be appealed to a, a random group of three elderly people. And if they dislike that decision for whatever reason, because they think it's unreasonable, then it has to go down, you got to start over. And I think all of us would look at that and be like, that's insane, like no institution can run like that, right? Corporations are subject to the business judgment rule precisely because we don't think that courts are in a good position to second guess their decisions. And we trust that the market will create the kind of discipline that allows management to take care of a lot of the things you might worry about in in the public space. So I think as lawyers, we need to be a lot more deferential to the possibility that, or a lot more sensitive to the possibility that what we want here are better managers. And that might mean that the rules that we worry about most are the rules that limit how much we can pay government employees, the rules that limit who we can hire, the rules that um, make it difficult to procure outside uh, help and assistance from the very best people, um, the, the, the rules that basically make it hard to bring good people into institutions and to keep them there. Um, And that's like a not a problem where I feel like I've got a ton of insight, but I do think that like management, like to a lawyer, every problem looks like a procedural problem, but to a manager, it doesn't. And we need to empower managers and frankly, disempower lawyers in the 21st century administrative state. Like lawyers loom larger here in the United States than they do elsewhere. And I think it's a problem.
0: Well, Nick, uh, on that note, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I really love the paper, and I love talking to you about it. Uh, and I can't wait to reading more of your stuff in the future.
1: Thanks, Brian. It's always fun to come on the show. <laughs>